Greetings, friends. It's uh, Stephen Young and, and Paul Bennett back with you for another episode of the Rocky River United Methodist Church podcast. Uh, we're here in, in the month of September getting uh, back into a, a slightly different mode for our podcast. If you've been hanging with us for the past month or so, uh, you've been hearing some of the incredible stories of the wonderful folks who call Rocky River United Methodist Church home. And uh, Stephen and I had an absolute, uh, absolutely delightful time uh, connecting with these folks uh, that you've gotten to hear from and uh, hearing their stories firsthand and uh, been thrilled to be able to share those with you. We will uh, be reverting back to uh, to old uh, uh, old Stephen and Paul here and, and bringing a, a, a new series to you where uh, we'll be providing the, the bulk of the material, uh, but know that the opportunity to bring the stories of others before you is, is always going to be there and uh, we'll probably be mixing in some future uh, such episodes uh, not too far down the road. Uh, but for today, we are in the month of September, and the church is uh, shifting its focus in, in many ways, and this year is really no different uh, in that sense than others, uh, to a, a seasonal um, focus on getting back into God's Word and, and uh, being an intentional about studying uh, the Bible together as a, a church family and as individuals. And uh, we in our podcast would like to turn our focus to the very same thing. Um, it's, uh, it's not too late for anybody who may be listening right now to sign up for one of the many studies that are going to be launching or perhaps already have launched uh, through the church, our disciple Bible studies. Uh, there are three different women's studies uh, launching and each with a, a different format. We have some uh, conversations around the topic of racism that will be launching uh, next week and uh, all sorts of opportunities to get together with other folks, whether virtually or in person, uh, study God's word or at least talk about uh, the Christian faith and, and uh, issues that relate to it. Uh, so I want to encourage you to do just that. Um, our, our upcoming uh, session, our upcoming uh, series that we're launching into today, we hope uh, will be a, a, essentially a, a tool chest for you to uh, turn to in the midst of those studies, or if you have uh, um, not signed up and are unable to sign up for a study through the church this year, we hope that uh, our, our series that we're about to launch into will provide you with the, the confidence, uh, perhaps on the other side of this, then to, to enter into uh, next year or even later, uh, just a few months down the road, uh, feel comfortable signing up for a study through the church. We're going to be spending the next uh, several weeks here um, helping you dive into the Word of God um, on your own and giving you some tools and, and some basic information that you might need to do just that. Uh, some, some preliminary information before we get into the specific topic for today. Um, and, and this is uh, basic stuff that, that uh, many folks know, many folks um, don't. And don't be embarrassed as we go through this series about anything that you don't know, because that's exactly why we're addressing it, because uh, a lot of folks are uncomfortable asking questions. They just assume uh, they walk into a church, everybody expects them to have the, the Bible memorized and, and to know uh, everything there is to know about it. Uh, we don't expect that, and uh, so we want to start with some basic concepts uh, to help you familiarize yourself with God's holy word. Uh, so as we begin this uh, series, we want to uh, bring these basic pieces of information to you. First of all, the, the Bible, even though it, it may appear as such on our, our shelves or on our nightstands uh, when we gaze at it, the Bible is not a, a book. It's actually a collection of writings that were written anywhere from about 2,000 years before Jesus uh, walked the earth uh, to uh, within a, a hundred or so years after Jesus walked the earth. 
Um, and each of these different texts were not written with the intention of plugging them into a, a larger whole, a, longer, a larger collection of texts. So, uh, for example, God didn't uh, look down and, and say, you know, okay, Moses, uh, we're, we're working on a big book here, and, and you have chapters 1 to 3, and Joshua, you got 4 to 6, and, and Matthew, you know, a couple thousand years later, uh, you're going to finish up with, uh, uh, you're going to add chapter 40. You know, God didn't approach the, um, the gathering and the, the, uh, the authoring of the biblical text in, in that manner. These were very different uh, documents, different texts written for very different purposes across a large span of time uh, by many different people with different backgrounds, different historical contexts. And uh, it's our job as readers to, to be able to do the research and, and to put the time and energy into understanding how they all come together and, and tell the story of God's plan for us as his people. Uh, really, the only thing all of the biblical authors and texts have in common is that, that we believe that they're inspired by God, uh, that the Holy Spirit works both um, on our end as we read and, and understand them, but also in uh, the end of, of the author when they were originally recorded, that the Holy Spirit inspired that process as well. And once again, they all contribute somehow, some way to God's incredible plan uh, for us as his people seeking to understand him, uh, know and, and follow him with our very lives. Uh, so that's just some, some basic uh, foundational information to uh, lay the groundwork for where we're going today. And today, our, our focus is going to be on biblical genres uh, or genres. Do you, do you roll the, the G there, Stephen? Genres yeah, or is it genres? Genre. Genres. <laughs> uh, biblical genres. Uh, genres are, are basically just different types of literature that we find in the Bible. Uh, different, different people, different scholars uh, throughout history have broken the Bible into different uh, genres and uh, different numbers of, of genres because it's not clear-cut. Uh, there are some books um, that contain more than one genre. There are um, books that uh, are in a, a portion of the Bible that's full of one genre, but they happen to be a different one. So it's, it's not uh, clear-cut. Different scholars uh, sort them out differently. But we're going to take you through a, a journey of uh, six of the, the primary genres of uh, the Bible and break them down one at a time and, and give you a feel for what they're all about. And Stephen has uh, genre number one. These are not necessarily uh, brought to you in the order in which you'll uh, find them in your Bible because even that is, is not clear cut as they bounce around in different places. Uh, so random order, Stephen, uh, what's the first genre you're bringing to us today? Yeah, so I think it's always important to know that as, as Paul is saying that we have a library of collection of books that all come in different written formats. So um, just like uh, a fiction book and a nonfiction book within the same library, you're going to read them differently because they're um, of different books. So the first genre we're going to be looking at is gospel and narrative. Um, gospel and narrative. So it, it's important to note that most of the Bible is really written in narrative format, meaning um, it's about a story. Um, and just about all the books in the Bible, there is a story, a unique story to that book of the Bible that's being told. But within that book, the story being told in that book um, also connects to a large, larger story that the entire Bible is telling and sharing um, really about God and his love for the world and, and rescuing the world from sin, which is just a very large scope of the story. Um, and all the books fit within that story. Um, so possibly the most well-known narrative uh, in Scripture is the story of Jesus in the Gospels. 
And the Gospels are not merely historical uh, chronicles, but they're also narrative announcements that make significant claims that Jesus is the Messiah of Israel and the true Lord of the world. Um, the Gospel stories claim to be um, claim to both recount history and aim to persuade the reader to acknowledge Jesus as Lord and to become his disciples. Um, so there are four unique things about the Gospels. So the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, the first is they weave Old Testament stories into the story of Jesus. So many parts of the Old Testament um, are prophecies speaking and looking forward towards the coming of Jesus. So when you're reading the when the gospel when you're reading the Gospels, um, there's much of the Old Testament that's being worked into it. And and I think I'm sure um, some of our listeners who have um, perhaps dug into the Old Testament or studied more in the Old Testament, and then they went back to the Gospels, and they have all these like, wow, I can see a lot of the things that I study in the Old Testament are found in the Gospels as well. Um, the second um, unique thing about the Gospels is that the stories are designed to make claims about the identity of Jesus, and each Gospel has a unique perspective on Jesus' identity. I always like to think of it like a diamond. Um, when you look at a diamond from different perspectives, the way the light hits the diamond is, is always slightly different. Uh, and the third uh, unique thing is that they all, all the Gospels have the crucifixion, the resurrection as the climax um, of the story of that particular narrative of the Gospels. And then fourth, the chronological of events has been rearranged to better reveal unique aspects of Jesus' character. Now, I know um, when we think of Gospels, we often think of um, biographies in, in the more modern sense. Um, but in the Gospels, it's, it's not quite like our 21st century biographies. Um, they are true stories about Jesus, but they take um, the liberty to kind of chronological the events in different orders to make a different to make a specific point about Jesus's identity and and again like I talked about the diamond we have light coming in and how you look at it it's going to give different perspectives and each of the gospels give different perspectives and a lot of times sometimes people discredit their rearranging of events and they discredit the gospels because of that um, but in all honesty we do it today so if someone asked me about myself about my about who I am, I'm not always going to start with my birth, right? I might start with, you know, what happened to me in college. I might start with what happened to me in high school. I might start with my marriage. I might start with my kids to help explain who I am. I don't always start with, well, I was born in 1989 in the hospital in Philadelphia, whatever. Like, I don't always start with the beginning of the story. You can start with different parts of the story to help people understand who you are. And the Gospels take that that liberty of a key liberty of understanding who Jesus is. Um, so think about that. Don't always think of the Gospels as an exact representation of 21st century biographies. But at the same time, the Gospels do have historical facts about the person of Jesus Christ. Um, so in one sense, this is probably the most serious literature you'll ever read. And in another sense is the best news you can ever hear. Though these texts, um, through these texts, Jesus springs to life, inviting us into a thrilling and challenging adventure of following him. These stories and teachings have the potential to shape and form you to become new and a different kind of person. Um, and I think what's really important about the Gospels that's um, not in most biographies is that the Gospels demand a response from the reader. So Jesus, um, through the Gospels, when we read it, 
all of them are written in in a way to demand a response from from us when we read those when we read the gospels and to remind us that the narrative narratives run throughout all the bibles throughout all the bibles throughout all the books of the bible um, we'll find a narrative story so the second genre we're going to dive into uh thanks Stephen, for setting the stage um but is is history slash law we we roll history and law in together because really the the uh, law texts are intertwined within the history texts. In fact, the history texts are very extensive in the Bible. The laws are just kind of intermingled and interspersed in a small portion um, in the middle of those historical uh, documents. So history and law roughly compose the, the first 17 books of the Bible. And uh, as a whole, that ends up being about uh, a third or more of the Bible. So this is a a huge portion of, of the uh, of the entire text of the Bible, and uh, it, it is at its very essence exactly what it sounds. It is uh, history. It's the factual retelling of real events. Of course, the entire Bible is historical, but uh, these are, are history uh, texts. Um, you hear what uh, Stephen just said, talking about the gospel being retelling of, of stories about Jesus. Uh, these are retellings of stories, but stories of a, a, a single nation primarily across a, a larger span of history. So you're pulling in uh, countless different uh, national leaders and, and characters and uh, religious leaders and different interactions with other surrounding nations over uh, many, many centuries. So historical texts are uh, retelling of real events. And uh, when I say real, I mean real. And when we read the, the text of the Bible, uh, we need to have a keen awareness of this, that these, these are not um, just uh, stories. And uh, growing up, and, and I think sometimes our experience in children's Sunday school uh, does us a disservice to this extent, and, and it, it accomplishes exactly what it should. It engages us with these Bible stories. Um, but a lot of times we begin to, to see them as almost fairy tales or, or fable-esque. Uh, these are real stories, real events uh, that pertain to, to real people that happen in real places that still exist in the world today. And it's so important that we get that and we, we see them through that lens as we're reading them. Um, once again, just as the, the Gospels are not, uh, not synonymous with biographies, uh, these historical texts are not synonymous with like a historical uh, textbook. It, it, these are intended for greater purpose than just relaying um, the overall history of the nation of Israel. These are true historical accounts, but the overall purpose is that they contribute to God's greater uh, purpose, his greater message for his people um, throughout history. Another piece that's important for us to understand, when we're reading uh, historical books of the Bible, these these aren't just history like what happened in, in uh, 1960 here in America. This is, this is ancient uh, history that we're talking about. And uh, once again, we need to be able to see uh, these books through that lens. Um, and we can't thus hold the biblical authors accountable to the modern rules of writing and uh, see them through the, our modern lens. Uh, for example, ancient uh, historical writers were very loose on the, the quotations that they used. Um, they rounded numbers off. They didn't necessarily care about precision and, and numbers quantities. Uh, they were some, somewhat unclear about uh, sequence of events. They didn't necessarily record things in the order that they happened and uh, the exact time as, as uh, to which 
events happens, all of these things are um, relative in, in nature uh, in the eyes of a lot of historical writers. Uh, never once did they write a, a book and then put a footnote down at the bottom, right? So they, they were not as um, concerned with some of the things we concern ourselves with today. We need to understand that as we read them. Uh, historical books allow God to teach us, though, through the stories of the experiences of those who have gone before us. So uh, starting way back with the Christian patriarchs and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, we learn through the stories uh, of these individuals and, and the, the budding nation of Israel about our origins as God, God's people, about the covenants that God established with us at different points. We see real examples of how God related to individuals and, and groups of people in the past that we can learn from. Uh, when we start to roll into to Exodus and, and beyond, the story of the establishment of the nation of Israel shows us the roots of our relationship with God as a community. So we can draw information even from books as far back as, as Exodus and Leviticus for how God relates to us as a, a community, i.e. As, as a church or as, uh, as families, as, as family units. We can learn from these historical books um, to that degree, too. And as we read historical texts, we must ask what God is, is teaching us uh, through these stories about his nature and the nature of our relationship with him. So we always need to be uh, having an eye, eye toward application. These aren't just um, fun stories from 3,000 years ago. These are, are, are um, important uh, stories that God recorded specifically so that we could learn something from them. There are a lot of things that happen. Uh, to the uh, nation of Israel or, or to Isaac or to Ishmael that, that uh, were not important to the greater purpose of God's uh, recording of the text. And so we have known nothing about them because these are not historical texts. What is included, uh, each and every story and each and every word and, and syllable is somehow important to us and, and we need to look for the application within. Uh, secondly, law. Uh, brief few words about about law. Law, uh, once again, was lumped in with history because it is lumped in with history in the Bible. Leviticus, uh, parts of Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all include uh, law texts. In the law texts, God is outlining his uh, commands for his covenant people. And there are uh, different types of laws. There are moral laws that uh, teach us about how to live um, in our everyday lives. There are ceremonial laws about uh, worship and, and the rituals around worship and, and sacrifice. And there are civil laws that speak to how to govern and care for a larger society. But the whole purpose of these laws uh, in Scripture uh, were to help the people get acquainted with God and, and their, the nature of their relationship with him and his plan for their lives. Um, and, and the law uh, portions, if you ask somebody which, of the, which books of the Bible they would uh, be most apt to skip if they're trying to read the whole thing, these are the ones we, we want to toss aside. We want to say they don't matter um, because often we, we misunderstand them. Um, one of the things I think is important to, to grasp here, the law was written in a time before Christ, uh, thus before the cross and before grace covered our relationship with God. Uh, so at the time before Christ, these were truly laws to be understood as laws. They each had an important purpose and following them to the letter meant that God's perfect plan for your life could be lived out uh, beautifully. However, they were laws, so breaking them had severe consequences. But now on the other side of Christ, uh, these are, are still laws, uh, but for the most part, it, it's 
It's the principle behind the law and the laws that we see recorded in these books that seem so ridiculous to us. We, we need to look for the principles behind these laws because uh, that's what matters. The spirit of the law more so than precise ob obedience to the law in most cases. So it, adhering to the principles behind them still lead us into God's perfect plan for us. Uh, but our incentive uh, now on the other side of Christ is uh, to, to follow uh, the law and to adhere to God's plan for us out of an internal faith rather than out of fear of external consequences, fear of what God is going to do to us. So uh, when we read these laws today, and we do need to read them today, um, we must ask, what is the purpose of each of these laws? What's the principle behind them? What was it for the original audience, for the Israelites? And what practical purpose or general wisdom uh, were they trying to communicate? But also, what principles can we glean from them today to still apply to our lives here in uh, the 21st century America? So uh, that's the, the, the historical and, and the law texts. Uh, Stephen, where are we going next? Yeah, so our next one, uh, the next genre that we find in Scripture is prophecy. Um, and just kind of make a side note that um, the books of the Bible don't... So you're going to find prophecy in narrative. You're going to find law and in, in when we're talking about wisdom literatures here soon. We're, so I just want to say all the genres sometimes overlap. There's crossover. And that's definitely true for the genre of prophecy. So in prophecy, um, you're going to get... What's important is that the prophets are speaking during a historical time in Israel's history. So the, the prophets just don't exist in a vacuum. They exist within the larger scope of Israel's history. So whenever you're reading the prophets, um, think of a time they're they're speaking during a specific time in Israel's history, and 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 I and I encourage you with all of the books that if you're reading a book of the Bible, do some extra research into figuring out when was this book written and what time period or frame um, was this book written, and that's very true for um, the prophets. And and when you think of prophecy, it's not always about predicting the future, though though that does happen. Um, but a lot of prophecy is poetry, and, and there's a little bit of apocalyptic and historical texts in there. But um, there's four main themes that the prophets um, speak about. So whenever you open the book of the prophets, and, and some of, I'm not going to read all of them, but some of the books that are considered prophecy are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. I'll probably will read all of them. Micah, <laughs> Nahum, Habakkuk, uh, Zechariah, Hag Haggai. Sorry if I mispronounced any of these. And if any of these are your name, and I apologize. Zechariah, Zephaniah was the other one, <laughs> and uh, Malachi. So those are so you have minor prophets and you have major prophets, and they're not minor or major is just because of the longer books like Isaiah and Jer Jeremiah are considered major prophets and the smaller books like Micah are considered minor prophets. So four main themes. First, um, first, first theme that you see in prophecy is there's a rebellion against God or Yahweh. So this rebellion is seen in the breaking of the covenant, the worship of other gods, allowing social injustice, and then making alliances with foreign nations, which means that they were distrusting God. So they weren't allowed to make alliances with other nations um, because that means that they were distrusting God. They were meant to be a light 
to the other nations, um, bringing people to God. The second theme that you'll see is calls for repentance and a turn from wicked ways and a return to faith and obedience to Yahweh. So this is another major theme that the prophets um, are calling for religious devotion to God alone and no other God. Um, they're also calling for social justice and care for the most vulnerable um, in the community. Um, so it's so we have first theme is the rebellion against God. Second theme is repentance. The third theme is an announcement of the day of the Lord. Um, and this is a day that God um, will address the injustice and the rebellion. Um, a day that when God judges evil and vindicates the righteous. So um, whenever you're reading the prophets and it says day of the Lord, that's what it's speaking about. A day in which God will address the injustice in the nation and address the rebellion in the people. And then the fourth theme that you see and just about all the pro all the prophets is um, hope and restoration. Um, God has hope for our world, and He refuses to let Israel sin get the last word. So all of the apocalyptic or sorry prophetic books contain profound images of future hope and restoration for God's people and for the entire world. Um, so those are the four major themes that you'll find. Um, within the prophets, and they're all speaking in their specific historical moment to the people of Israel. So again, to repeat, four themes are um, one, rebellion against God, two, um, a call for repentance to turn from wicked ways and to re return to obedience to God, third, announcements of the day of the Lord if they refuse to return, and then fourth, uh, a theme of hope and restoration. So there's that God knows of the remnant of people who continue to follow him. And God is still seeking um, to restore, um, not, to, not just restore his people, to, but to restore the world back to the way it was in Genesis. So that's um, a quick look at the theme of prophecy. Thank you, Stephen. My uh, my middle name happens to be Haggai, <laughs> and I gotta say I'm extremely offended. Um, uh, you you did a swell job with those, actually. I thought your middle name was Aaron. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I forgot. Sorry about that. Um, uh, genre number four. We we roll into the poetic books, uh, and we're gonna lump together poetry and, and wisdom. Uh, when we talk about poetic books, we're talking psalms, we're talking uh, Song of Solomon, we're talking Lamentations. Uh, so we'll, we'll address the, the poetry um, texts first. Uh, what are the poetic books? Well, they're, they're books with poetry. Is that, did I say enough? Is that good? Yeah, good job, Paul. Thank you. <laughs> um, the poetic books are, are simply scripture written, written in, in verse. Uh, so they're full of exactly what you would expect, that they're full of symbolic uh, literature. They're, they're full of imagery and metaphors and expressions of, of feelings, sometimes intense uh, feelings. Um, much to our disappointment, the original Hebrew authors uh, did not use rhyme, uh, as we're accustomed to, to many poems having in our uh, time period. So any rhyme that you see in, in the Bible is mere coincidence. However, there is significance nonetheless to the organization of uh, the text in these uh, poetic passages. Um, sometimes, and, and if you've uh, done any study on, on poetry and, and poetic formats and, and uh, 
and um, and patterns and such, uh, you'll recognize like an ABA pattern, ABBA. So a, a one concept that's thrown out there and then a second one that kind of sandwiches uh, that concept with uh, the return to that concept uh, being uh, the third um, portion of the poem. So uh, ABA, um, ABBA, so uh, concept number one, and then two, two, and then back to one. There's a lot of repetition in uh, the, the poetic books and in the messages within because uh, God is looking to emphasize some things uh, um, in some very intentional ways. Uh, other scholars would call it parallelism, or at least it overlaps with parallel parallelism, this concept that uh, different uh, messages are repeated in different ways, uh, different poetic formats. Uh, so we have to pay attention not just to the content of a poem in, in the Bible, but to the structure of a poem, because there's almost like a, a second layer of meaning in the way that, uh, for example, a, a psalm is constructed. Uh, so we need to look for not just the words, but look for things to repeat, look for a concept to appear at the beginning of a psalm, and then for the author to come back to it once again at the end. Uh, so great significance, once again, to the way that a, a, a poem is organized. My experience has been, and, and I think um, scholars would echo this, uh, poetry is often intended to convey the same messages that other biblical genres are uh, intended to convey, but the, the poetic texts are specifically uh, geared to, to connect with our hearts, to connect with us on a heart level. Uh, the Psalms, for example, allow us a, a direct inlet, uh, many of them to the heart of David, of, of King David, and the ups and downs of his relationship with God. And it, it's kind of neat to um, read about David's uh, feelings and, and almost like his personal prayer journal with God in the Psalms and then uh, relate the uh, feelings and the events that we see implied within his prayer journal, the Psalms, to uh, different events in his life that we read about in, in say, First and Second Samuel um, and the historical texts about his life. So these are some of the cool things that you could do in, in Scripture is have uh, characters brought up in multiple texts and and see their experiences uh, through different lenses. So the the imageries, uh, the the image imagery and the emotions within these these poems allow us to relate uh, to these people and their experiences in, in very real, powerful, and and often worshipful ways. So poetry, I think, is where the Holy Spirit uh, really does uh, the Spirit's best work. And I I mentioned journaling, um, David usually or, or in essence uh, created the psalms as like a prayer journal for himself uh psalm uh the book of the psalms is is great for journaling for us today too so if you're looking for a way to um commit yourself to a spiritual discipline that can help you grow in your faith um journaling while reading the psalms is a great way to do it wisdom we we said we're also going to lump in with the uh the poetry genre uh wisdom is uh, contained primarily in, in Proverbs, in Job, and Ecclesiastes. And uh, the wisdom books are meant to, to be immensely practical with advice and, and general rules to help us live uh, well here in the real world. Uh, you don't see many authors in, in 2020 writing uh, wisdom texts and having them published. I, I do happen to have a a uh, little book from uh, Benjamin Franklin about the wit and wisdom of Benjamin Franklin. So I know it, it didn't go out of style all that long ago, um, but you don't see it too much today. But um, it, it could be understood really to be the counterbalance to, to poetry. 
Uh, poetry engages the heart. Wisdom engages the mind. One of the main things we need to understand about the wisdom texts is that context is incredibly uh, important. Generally speaking, you don't want to just take a, a single verse or a passage from a larger wisdom text. So to pull a, a verse out of uh, Job, for example, without knowing the overall message of, of the entire book of Job. Uh, Job includes wisdom literature, but every statement that Job utters in uh, the book of Job, when he's wrestling with why his life is falling apart and how he should feel about God and, and relate to God in these moments, um, not every word that Job utters uh, is, is uttered out of wisdom. There's a lot of things that Job says uh, in the book of Job that are complete rubbish. So if we just assume that you can read a line from Job and get wisdom from it, uh, we're going to be sorely mistaken. But his journey as a whole is a journey of wisdom. So within the larger context of the story, we can learn uh, quite a bit. So that's enough uh, wisdom from me, Stephen. You want to take us into genre number five? Yes, yeah, so genre number five is probably um, one that shows up maybe the, the least in scripture, um, though uh, it does have a powerful impact, and that's apocalyptic. Um, so revelations would be considered apocalyptic. Um, maybe about the second half of the book of Daniel. Um, and then also the prophets will have um, what we consider apocalyptic um, uh, apocalyptic literature. And really, so also too, I think apocalyptic, um, what it means in the Hebrew is uh, it means to reveal. So it doesn't always, in our context, modern, modern context, when you think apocalyptic, we always think of the end of the world. And that's not necessarily true in Scripture. Um, the word apocalyptic even shows up in parts of the gospel when Jesus is revealing a truth or revealing a statement to his disciples. So the word apocalyptic isn't always meaning the end of the world, but it means to reveal. Um, and those books are, re though those books may be revealing um, perhaps things that will happen at the end of the world or revealing things that will happen, at least in the Old Testament, revealing things that will happen to Jesus. Um, but apocalyptic always doesn't mean the end of the world. Um, but when it, we look at um, that genre um, in the scriptures, and, and I have five ways of helping us to understand and read through um, apocalyptic literature. Um, first, apocalyptic literature has a lot and this is an understatement, <laughs> a lot of symbolism. Uh, apocalyptic literature is highly symbolic, and part of the reason for that is symbolism is to invoke emotions about the message, and it's also meant to drive a point. Um, just think of it also, too, in poetry, right? When poetry uses a lot of imagery and metaphors and things because if you just state something literally, just literally state something, it's not as great as, as if you speak it poetically. So think if, if you're married and, and you have a spouse, I'm, I'm sure um, your spouse would like it so much if you spoke of them in poetic ways. And I'm sure that would probably make them even more excited. Oh, wow, you're, you're really, uh, <laughs> there's something wrong with you if you come and speak it poetically. But if you speak just matter-of-factly, you might not have uh, the same reaction. And, and that's kind of how in apocalyptic literature, it, it's speaking to really invoke a deep point and invoke an emotion about the message. Um, second, uh, apocalyptic literature has an original audience, so this is very important. In some cases, we are so far removed from the original context 
both in terms of time and in terms of culture, that a lot of the symbolism is lost to us. Uh, when we read it, we need to take in consideration what is happening at the time it is written. Um, again, so like apocalyptic literature, the original audience really matters. And, and I would also um, stress that with all the genres that you read, the original audience is very important into how you read the book. Um, how you read um, certain parts of scripture, what, you ask yourself, what was the original intent and meaning that God is trying to get across to his, to his people, to the original audience um, that this book was written in? It's very important. Um, third thing is keep, keep in mind the big, keep the big picture in mind. Don't overanalyze the symbols. Um, the best, it is best to keep the big picture in mind. Um, that God is conquering the evil in our world and will have victory over it. Also, that God is restoring the world into a new world that is a void of sin and death. So, um, in the big picture in mind, apocalyptic is, is revealing a time in which God deals with um, the sin and evil and rebellion in our world in a final climax, in a sense, that um, it does reveal an end to a new beginning. Um, of our world and and so when you're reading apocalyptic literature there's a lot of things that you might not understand that you definitely don't understand i don't understand um, even the greatest of scholars don't understand um, but the big picture in mind is that god is conquering over the evil in our world um, and this is also seen in the gospel so when jesus is um, the coming messiah many of the people um, didn't believe jesus was the messiah because the the literature that, that we're reading um, they, they thought Jesus would be different. They thought the Messiah would look different. Um, they did, weren't quite reading it as it was, I would say, as God had originally written it. So Jesus was kind of breaking all their paradigms of how the Messiah would look. And I think the same comes to the way when we think of the end of the world. It, uh, when we're trying to interpret and understand apocalyptic literature and revelations, we always have to go about it with humility, understanding that we don't quite know all the specific details of what is to happen. Also, uh, encourage with well, apocalyptic literature was written to encourage the oppressed. So the majority of apocalyptic literature was written during times when the people of God were being oppressed. Um, the apocalyptic literature was written in Daniel was during the exile of the people of Israel, and then the apocalyptic literature written in the New Testament in Revelations. A revelation was written to Christians under intense persecution under Rome. So these 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 texts were written really to help encourage the oppressed, meaning that there will be a time when evil will um, be called to an account, um, that we do live in, in a world that is just. We do live in a world that God um, um, wants to redeem and to heal. And, and, and I know sometimes in America we have a hard sense of, seeing that but just imagine that um in other countries where they there's constant warfare or there's constant starvation um something like this wouldn't bring, bring more bring encouragement um because they would understand that there is a god that cares and there will be an end to the evil um that they see um, and then the last is have trusted sources so um this may not go to completely to understanding how to read apocalyptic literature but i think we need to have really good sources when it comes to reading revelations or daniel or text similar to that um because as i said earlier um there's a lot going on in these texts and I, and i admit too when i read them they they can be hard to understand so um i would always uh, encourage um, you to have good trusted sources to read alongside um some of these writings
And finally, friends, uh, we turn to the genre of letters. Uh, another word for letters, for whatever reason that we like to throw around when we're talking Bible, is epistles, a uh, fancy word for letters. Uh, but they are uh, letters. They're scripture written in the form of a letter is the definition. There are 21 letters uh, in the New Testament written by at least six different authors. And I shouldn't even use the word author because uh, uh, one of the main points and messages behind uh, this genre is, is not to see them as authors, to see them as everyday people who happen to be writing a letter. So they uh, they are the authors or the writers uh the letters writers, <laughs> six different uh, ones writing 21 letters. Half of the New Testament is uh, comprised of these letters. So we need to remember that these are actual letters pulled out of history. Uh, these are not letters written for the purpose of then being woven into a larger piece of literature. When the person wrote the letter, they knew they were writing a letter. They didn't know anything else was, was going to happen uh, with it or to it. Um, my uh, my family has a bunch of letters from my grandfather and, and grandmother exchanged while he was uh, in the army uh, in, in the European theater during World War II. And, and um, they were real letters. And, and as you read them, you don't know exactly what's going on. You don't know what grandma wrote to grandpa or grandpa wrote to grandma to prompt this response. You don't know the events that they're referring to. Uh, most of what they're talking about, you have to piece together from context and, and clues in uh, the letter itself. And that's exactly what we're dealing with uh, with the biblical letters. And it's important uh, when we read the letters that we seek out this information. We want to know who wrote them. We want to know who they were written to precisely. And we want to know what the purpose is uh, for the writing of this letter. Uh, the, this is not my grandma and grandpa who just wanted to keep up communication because uh, they didn't have telephones and um, so they sent letters back and forth to pass the time. There's almost always a, a direct purpose, um, some need that is, is to be addressed by the writing and sending of these letters and uh, it's important that we seek that out. Uh, another kind of fun fact, some of the letter writers um, did not write their letters with their own hands. They had scribes that um, that worked with them, maybe traveled with them in the case of uh, Paul or Peter, and did some of the writing themselves. Uh, the clues we piece together suggest that the Apostle Paul maybe had uh, very poor vision and uh, and thus very poor handwriting. And, uh, and so he had a, another person write for him. Uh, in the book, at the end of the book of Romans, um, Romans 16, 20, 20, or 16, 22, uh, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salutes you in the Lord. So a, a gentleman named uh, Tertius wrote the book of Romans, apparently, for the Apostle Paul. A couple other um, of his letters, he closes, Paul closes, uh, by saying, I, Paul, write this with my own hands. Uh, so the implication is that the entire letter was written by another person, perhaps Tertius, and, and Paul uh, penned his own greeting at the end uh, as verification that it was written by him. In fact, um, in, in Thessalonians 3.17, Paul writes, I write this greeting with my own hand. This is the mark in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. Uh, so his, his proof that he was behind the letter, even though he wasn't writing most of it. Uh, and just for fun, Galatians 6.11, see what large letters I make when I am writing in my own hand, Paul writes. So 
Um, so this is just part of the historical context understanding of how this letter writing took place. Um, who were the letters written to? Often they were written to um, a single church or a church congregation within the early church, uh, somewhere that Peter or Paul or one of the other writers uh, was visiting, a church they had established, and they're writing to stay in communication with them. Sometimes they were written to a single individual. Um, and then some of these letters were written perhaps to a church uh, with the intent then that after the church reads it, they would communicate it, pass it along to other believers or other people that they were in contact with. Uh, one of the things that makes the letters such a great addition to the Bible is that because their letters are they're so straightforward, uh, there's a clear purpose. The author uh, has a, an agenda and they logically and relatively succinctly uh, go straight at that agenda. So uh, when we're kind of in Q&A mode as a church trying to figure out uh, what to do about something, um, we often go straight to the letters because they're, they're written so directly and because they're written often to churches. And though it was 2,000 years ago, um, some of these churches were dealing with some of the, the same problems and um, circumstances as we are today. Uh, finally, another thing about the approach of biblical letters is that they were largely developed within the ancient Roman system of, of rhetoric uh, because the Roman Empire was so prosperous, the Roman elite had time uh, to sit around and, and argue with each other about the deeper matters of life uh, and society and, and religion, philosophy, politics. Every member of the elite class was expected to be good at oral communication and to be able to present a, a clear argument for whatever it was that they believed. And so many of these letters were written by people who were good orators and uh, lived within that system, that, that understanding. And so they wrote their letters as kind of a, a written form of um, their arguments that they were trying to make to a congregation or to a group of people. And uh, another reason that we need to take the each verse and each passage within the letter, uh, within the larger context as a whole, we can't just once again pull out and hopefully you hear this message echoing in, in Stephen and I and everything that we've said today. You can't just take one small sentence or passage and uh, think that you can fully grasp it without seeing the larger context. Uh, crucial for, for all the genres, uh, but letters uh, very much so as well, that uh, we need to read the letter as a whole and know the whole message, the whole argument that the writer is trying to make and not just pull one section of it out. And uh, that's the whole kit and caboodle. We covered the whole Bible, Stephen. Yes. So um, if you have listened this far, thank you very much. And I pray, we pray and hope that this has um, been really helpful for you. Um, and we're going to be doing for the next several podcasts, we're going to be doing podcasts on how to help us understand and read the scriptures. Um, and also, too, I, I want to point um, a lot of information that I got, I got from the Bible Project. So um, I openly encourage um, others to search them. Um, go on Google Shirts Bible Project. They have fantastic videos explaining the scriptures in, in a real helpful, animated way. Um, and they're doing really, really good work there. So look up Bible Project. Um, just a reminder, uh, 8.30 parking lot service, 10 o'clock in-person service, and 11.30 online service and, uh, and we pray and we hope that each one of these services fits your needs um, where you're at right now and just a reminder that we're all praying for everyone we miss everyone um, and we can't wait to get back to some sort of new normal um, so thank you for listening and talk to you next time